you want to turn in your Bibles to Numbers, chapter 24, and then of course back up to 23, because <clears throat> I never can just start where I left off. I always got back up. <laughs> Actually, I find more things afterwards than I did before. It's frustrating in that way, but let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you so much for your great grace. We thank you for the bright prospect that stands before us, that we will be received up into glory. Oh, we thank you for our Savior this morning. And we pray that as we look into your word, you would help us and bless us. Fill our hearts with your spirit, that gracious and blessed Holy Spirit. May he dwell in us in all fullness and wisdom. Fill us, we pray in Jesus' name. As we've journeyed with the children of Israel through this wilderness, that's what the name of this book is, as you remember, I'll remind your way back. It's not really numbers, it's in the wilderness, that's the name of the book, in the uh, original Hebrew texts. So, <clears throat> I like to keep it that way, it's in the wilderness, and that's what it's about, like we are in the wilderness as a church. So the children of Israel had their wilderness journey that they had to take, to get from their... their covenant that was cut at Sinai and uh, on over to the land that was promised to them. So as they traveled through this wilderness, they had ups and downs, as we well know. We have come now to this chapter 23, and, and we found that eh, this the story has followed the children of Israel, you know, wonderfully and closely, but this these chapters are kind of a little break in their storyline, um, kind of. Chapters 22 through 24 kind of take us behind the scenes in, and, and open up to us another uh, event that's going on. It affects the children of Israel, but they don't know. They're not personally involved in this, in these chapters. They're camped down by the Jordan River, anticipating the day when God will give them the green light to cross the river and go into the promised land. And meanwhile... They're just sitting tight, and uh, we're not all that sure what they're doing. They're, they're, they're probably enjoying the spoils of their two recent victories over Bashan and Og, those two kings of the Amorites, and uh, those, those wonderful and mighty battles that the Lord gave them victory over, and they took the spoils and enjoying those spoils. They're camped along the banks of Jordan, but... In this scene, we find there is a there is an enemy of the people of God. He's he's seeking to attack them, not physically and militarily, but spiritually. He wants to bring an attack against them, using occultic practices and powers to bring a curse upon them. That's Balak, of course, king of Moab. He represents, I think and reminds us as we consider what's going on here of the spiritual wickedness in high places that's plotting against the people of God and seeking to destroy us. A battle over their souls is what is, is trying to go on here, which they themselves are completely oblivious. They're just camping on the, on the banks of the river and know absolutely nothing about what's going on just above them in the high places. 
I'm reminded of Revelation 12 and verse 10, where Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, who stands and accuses them before God day and night. He's, he's not just, uh, by the way, in his accusations that he brings about us before the throne of God, before God, he's not just bringing uh, constructive criticism about us, you know. What's he actually doing? He wants to bring us out, he wants to take us out of the place of blessing and bring us under the curse. He wants to bring these, these accusations, make them stick against us and uh, bring a curse upon our heads that he might destroy us and drive us out of the inheritance of God. But God says no. He says no. In this chapter uh, 22 and verse 12, thou shalt not curse this people. For they are blessed. What a wonderful thing it is to have God on your side. Well, we read in Romans 8, If God be for us, who can be against us? What a blessed portion of scripture that is. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We count on, we trust, and we believe in God. And he, according to his own gracious word, is for us. And by that declaration, we have really nothing to fear. But there is this battle waging. To Balaam, money was louder, talked louder than God. And, and, and you know how the story went. As, as, as Balak went to hire Balaam, he was the man for the job. He, he was... Uh, expert in occultic practices and calling up spirits and so forth. And the people that he blessed were blessed, and the people that he cursed were cursed. And so, uh, and, and he did that for money, of course. He did that for wages. That's, that's how he earned his, his, his hideous living. If, any, if ever you could call it filthy lucre, that would be filthy lucre, wouldn't it not? He could care less about this people, what they are like, or anything about them. If he got paid well enough, curse them and destroy them. Wow, that's filthy, Luke. That's wickedness of the highest order. That's Satan himself. So anyway, uh, Peter sums up Balaam's little actions here that are taught, uh, told us in, in, in great and beautiful detail. Uh, actually fun detail. It's a, it's a fun story. Sunday school students loved it, and I, I did too. I've always thought, well, this is the coolest story ever, Balaam and his donkey, right? But um, Peter sums it up like this. Balaam, he loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. <clears throat> Eventually, the Lord opened his eyes, we remember, as the story went along, to see the danger that he was in, and he discovered that his donkey, which he was so mad at and frustrated with, had actually saved his life three times over. And God showed him, or, and, and he finally discovered that the God of Israel was not like all the other gods that he had to do with, all of the false gods that he, all of the spirits that he had to work with in the past, he was familiar with, and he had 
been able to call up. He'd been able to manipulate for cursing and for blessing and so forth. But the God of, of the God of the Israelites was not like those gods. And so uh, he, he, he just suddenly became aware that he was dealing with someone that he could not manipulate. Now God showed us, I think, all those details of chapter 22, that neat story about the donkey talking and the miracle of God putting, you know, those words. And I think he showed us that so that we would understand that just like he was able to put man's words into a unclean donkey's mouth, so he could put his words into the pagan prophet's mouth. And so don't think that Balaam was a prophet of God. No, no, not even close. Balaam may have had to speak God's words, but he was not God's man. And someday, someday, every time, of those in heaven, yes, God's <laughs> glorious saints and angels, of those on earth, and it also says, and those under the earth, someday every tongue will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And their knees will bow to him. It will not imply that they belong to God, but they will recognize who he is. So he comes, so Balaam comes then to this place and um, under seeking these, uh, he, he's after the money, and uh, and God gives him, after he finally gets his attention and gets it to realize who he's dealing with, who he's standing before, um, God tells him to go ahead with this, and, and but he was going to know for sure that the words that he would speak would not be his words. He would give God's message, and God would use this, this terrible vessel, this godless man, this pagan of pagans, to speak his words of truth. There would not be a curse pronounced upon these people, for they are blessed. And so the parables that God put in Balaam's mouth to pronounce at that time, in this wonderful time, they're a description of the blessing that God has placed upon these people. There are seven parables, actually, which I, I don't know why I... Every commentary I read says four. But the, the fourth one is, I mean, there's there's uh, three there. And you will read that in the text. We'll get to that. I don't think we'll get to it today, but <clears throat> those are different than the first three. The last four are prophetic. The first three are actually descriptions of what God has given to his people, the blessing that rests upon them. And we noted last time that the first, uh, the first two are in chapter 23, and, and if memory serves me right, we actually covered that last time. So uh, I pointed out that at that time that each one of these uh, pronouncements of blessing uh, are given from a different vantage point, from a different location. And the location that's described corresponds with that blessing, I found that kind of interesting, well, an interesting detail, not unlike our God in, in all of the details. The first one is from the high places of Baal. 
which we read actually in chapter 22 that, that Balaam took him to the or Balak took Baal to Balaam to the high places of Baal. High places of Baal. Baal is in authority here. This is where Baal rules. The high places of that that evil idol or false god, satanic god that uh, was so well known in Moab and all of Canaan, and was a very big problem for the children of Israel later on. The high places. He's the prince, you know. He's the prince of the power or the dominion of the air. He's the prince of the power of the air. He works in the children of disobedience. We read that in Ephesians. That, that's the word that he's found. We think of uh, where Satan's seat is. The Lord speaks to Pergamos. You dwell where Satan's seat is and speaks of the synagogue of Satan in those letters to the churches. It's that great world system over which Satan rules. And uh, he is in charge there. He is in dominion. That world is under the curse of God, isn't it? That system. And we'll experience the wrath of God. But the people are not. God's people are not. Though they are in the world, they are not of the world. And so the, the blessing, is it a curse? No, no, it's not a curse. It's the blessing described in those first, in that first parable, and that is in uh, chapter 23 and verse 7 through 10. He takes up his parable and speaks to them. How can I curse when God hath not cursed? They are in the world that's cursed, but they are not cursed. How can I defy them, that is to pronounce wrath upon? How can I bring wrath upon them for whom of the Lord there is no wrath? they've been delivered (laughs) we have been delivered who trust in the Lord Jesus we have been delivered from the wrath of God and brought out from the curse of God he who bore the curse for us has delivered us from the curse and so he speaks about this people that they will dwell alone Verse 9, they dwell alone and they'll not reckon among the nations. What's he talking about? I think what he's saying here is uh, we're talking about sanctification. That's what it's all about. This is the first element of the, of the, of the blessing that God has put upon them. These people are sanctified. They are, they, they're sanctified to God. He's brought them out of the world unto himself. Even literally brought them out of Egypt unto himself in the wilderness. Spiritually, he's brought all who believe in Christ out of the world and into a relationship with himself forever. That, that will count your blessing, brother and sister. Count your blessing. Colossians 1.13, if I could just quickly uh, refer to that uh, beautiful passage. He has delivered us from the power that is the authority, the dominion, He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What a precious. Translated, he says. He tran- the word translated means to move from one place to another. A, a real movement here. But you know what? We didn't move physically. We're still in the world, but not of it. Some people... It just occurred to me that, you know, some people have a question about whether or not the church 
really does get raptured. You know the word raptured, and these kinds of arguments. Well, hey, we already have been. We already have been raptured. We've been translated. Oh, yeah, it's the secret one. It's the spiritual one first. But the spiritual always precedes the physical and the reality in, in time. And so the, the physical will come as sure as the spiritual has happened. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And as sure as that has happened, we will be translated in the coming day. We sang about it. He is coming. He's coming. Don't you hear it? You hear it on the threshold of the door. He's coming. And we'll be caught up together with him in the air. Oh, what a precious truth that is. We will be translated literally and bodily. He does the spiritual first. They brought that man sick of the palsy, crippled, couldn't walk, and led him down through the roof to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. He translated him spiritually. Oh, you think that's tough? You know, you think that's, you think that, you think I can't do that? Well, I can, and I can show you I can. I'll do it physically also. Stand up and walk. The spiritual precedes the physical, but as sure as the spiritual is real, physical will be. Count on it. Wait for it. Look for it. Watch for it. Brothers and sisters, Christ is coming. And so we have this, this beautiful reality that we are gods. We belong to God. While we're here in this world, marching around, we look like anybody else. But no, no. We are God's people. And we are sanctified to him. That is a blessing we should never take for granted. We marvel at it, don't we? In the very realm where Satan rules, there is the beautiful people of God, the church of the living God. So uh, the second uh, parable that they... Uh, Balaam is, is uh, given is brought to them out of uh, verse 14 says it comes out of Zophim, the field of Zophim and on the top of Pisgah and, and those words mean uh, uh, watchman Zophim is a watchman and uh, Pisgah is a survey to take a survey of something to, uh, to survey it to look at it to scrutinize if you can't uh, bring a curse on them uh, in that midst of the domain of Satan, well, let's take a look at them. Let's look at their life. Let's evaluate these people. Let's scrutinize what they do and how they act. And from that vantage point, well, maybe from that vantage point, we can curse these people. <laughs> and, and that, I think, if you're like me, is a little scary. Because, indeed, there is that about us which, if somebody's watching, if somebody scrutinized my life, could they find something which might bring a person under condemnation? It would sure seem like it, wouldn't it? But you are, and I are being watched. And we know that, of course. Our neighbors are paying attention to us. Our kids are watching us. We're watching each other. Everywhere we go, we're being watched. You can't avoid it. You're always, you're always being seen. 
But not only that, but there is these spiritual entities, these the spiritual wickedness in high places, and the angels of heaven too, the spiritual glorious ones, are also watching. We are also always being watched. Never forget that. You're never in a vacuum. You're never hidden. You're never hidden. You're always, always being watched. Oh, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. It won't bring a curse on us. Not under God's economy. It won't bring a curse on us. It only highlights another aspect of the blessing that God has given to us, and that would be justification. Oh my, to be justified before God, and thereby have peace with God. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is to know your sins are forgiven. Washed away where where they were as uh, red like crimson, white as snow, and we know snow. <clears throat> First of all, based on the fact not of what we say and do, watch me all you want, the one you should watch is the one who said it, God himself. He's the one that said it. And he is not a man that he should lie. He will not back off his word. What he said he will do. Justification is based on God's word and God's declaration and God's power. He will do it as he promised. God has commanded a blessing in verse 20. God has commanded a blessing. He's declared that his righteousness The very righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, is unto all and upon all that believe. That's God's word. (laughs) Amen. It's not my problem. It's his. He has said it. I have the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What a blessed thing that is. Twice, and and we that are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, these are the very words of God about me and about you. Not Balaam, not even Satan himself can curse this people. God has commanded the blessing, and he's not a man that should lie. He's not going to go back on his word. He's commanded. The blessing of justification belongs to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23b, on my notes it says, According to this time it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What has God wrought? This is what God has done. My salvation, your salvation, our security in Christ rests not upon us, upon God. It's what God has done. He's the Savior, after all, of sinners. And now we come to the third parable, which we haven't quite, which is in chapter 24 finally. And it is given to us, uh, excuse me a second. It comes to us from, uh, Peor that looketh toward Jeshimon. Did you see that verse? I don't know where. Oh, that's in verse 28. That's where Balak took Balaam. The Peor, that looketh toward Jeshimon. And Peor means uh, an opening or a hollow. And Jeshimon is a waste. The word means waste. 
you might be able to use the word over this whole area, this location, vanity, emptiness. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> what do we have here? Reminded of Psalm 39, 5, Verily every man at his very best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Maybe from this vantage point, we consider just what is man worth. Maybe from this vantage point, we can bring a curse down upon this people to defeat them. What is man after all that thou art mindful of him? Give us something. He's just a worm. Well, <clears throat> verse 1 says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, thank God, <laughs> he went out not, at, not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So I don't quite understand. It seems to me, apparently, that in those first two parables that Balaam uh, approached these, uh, these points, this with his normal rigmarole, chanting or probably smoking dope or something, I don't know, to get him in the mood, get the spirits rolling, whatever, whatever wizards do. He probably, he probably tried to do that thinking God was similar. And God, in spite of that, continued to speak through him. But this time, he said, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't work. There's no point in that. He doesn't do that this time. He just looks towards the wilderness. And guess what? The Spirit of God comes upon him. The Spirit of God actually comes. This is the first time it says that of him. In the first blessing was sanctification to God. We were sanctified to God. In the second blessing, we're justified by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here comes the Holy Spirit upon him. And we'll see that the blessing was is really, that's really what it's about. If you read it in that light, it's that glorious, that wonderful, blessed reality that God has given us, his Holy Spirit. This, and as we read it in that context, that sense, we'll, we'll see what it, how it fits. Not a waste, not emptiness. Oh, how empty life would be without the Spirit of God. Oh my, this is, this is important for us. Now his eyes are opened as he enters into this parable. A man whose eyes are opened and his ears are tuned to the Word of God. So the Spirit always works. And, uh, he gets a vision of Shaddai. His eyes are open, heard the word of God, and saw the vision of Shaddai. Shaddai. I don't, I'm not very good with pronouncing those names like that, unfortunately. And, uh, But we, that name, that name was first introduced to humanity by God Himself. And, and there it is, El Shaddai, I guess, if I'm saying that right. 
El Shaddai. El, of course, is the kind of the, the God. It would speak of omnipotence. God as an omnipotent being. Shaddai, that's an amazing thing. Uh, it's always translated almighty, but it, the actual word itself is a reference to the mother's breast, the breast of a nursing mother. It has to do with supply, with nourishment, it has to do with life, the giving of life, the power of life, perhaps, the power of life bursting forth. I remember when I was so surprised one time, the, uh, this was in Fargo many years ago, they put down a, a rubberized running track, you know, the it's like asphalt when it's got rubber in it, so it's a little bit cushiony under your feet. It's like four inches thick, and they, and they put this track down around there, and people can run on it and so forth. And after a few months of that being down right in the middle of that crazy track, the dandelion busts his way through it. <laughs> this is amazing. I thought dark like that would certainly kill it. This stuff is black, thick, heavy. Oh, life... Life has a power in it, doesn't it? comes from God. God is all-powerful. And that's what we see in this word, I think, part of this word. It's that life-giving power of nurturing love. There's so much in it, I don't think I can begin to... The first place it's used is back in uh, Genesis 17. It's worth looking at. Genesis chapter 17, that's where it first appears to humanity. God revealing himself in a beautiful new way. In Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abraham when he's 99 years old. Abram, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be perfect. Perfect being complete. Be full. Be full that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, Paul prays. Being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And trying to comprehend with all the saints what is the incomprehensible love of Christ. And to know its length and width and breadth and height and depth. And That's full. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, as for me, Behold, my covenant's with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many peoples. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Abraham. What did he do? He added the principal letter of his own name. Yahweh, Jehovah. The principal letter is H. 
He added that right in the middle of Abram. Abraham. Man of God. The father of many nations have I made thee. Thou, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I'll make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. I'll establish my covenant between me and thee. And so forth. He goes on to see that beautiful covenant with now Abraham. And at that time, he, he instructs him to be circumcised. That's when he introduced circumcision. Walk before me and be perfect. <laughs> no, there's, there's a, yeah, it's so profound. I, we don't have time to try to, and I wish I could if we, if we did, but I, I couldn't anyway. Note that amazing contrast, Shaddai and the wilderness, the waste, the empty waste of humanity. If it were not for the life-giving God, I was struck as I listened to Dr. Gooding one time, as he was trying, he was uh, detailing some of the thoughts that he sees in the Book of First Chronicles, and he says. Uh, he said, you know how First Chronicles starts? Adam, Sheth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, da-da-da-da-da. Sons of Ham, the sons of Cush, and Mizram. Again, and there's pages of this. Name after name after name after name. And he said, isn't it? Is, is, these people, these names represent people. I mean, a real person that was born like a little baby and had all kinds of, he had all sorts of ambitions and dreams and hopes his life. And he lived his life as full as he could and, and then he died. And then the next one came along and he died. Eventually their name, their, their, their name on a page. Seems like kind of a waste, doesn't it? Seems like sort of Vanity, all is vanity. Pages after pages of names, and someday our whole life will be summed up in a few words in an obituary someplace, and after that, we may still be a name on a page someplace. Maybe we won't even get to that. I tried to do some searching. I didn't really try, but my sisters and different people have asked me to try and search out my ancestry a little bit. Well, I'm German. I come from... You know, my family tree comes from Germany. And over there, with all their wars and all of their scandals and so forth like that, they didn't keep track because you don't know what kind of liabilities you're going to have if you're associated with your son of that. I don't want to be in a known like that. So they kind of destroyed all of that, largely. Pretty hard to find. My Some of my family tree is no, not even a name on a piece of paper anymore. But by the time you get to the end of First Chronicles, you read there that uh, Solomon, finally we got to Solomon. This is in chapter 29. And Solomon, 29, 23, sat on the throne of the Lord. 
Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. That's God's intention, isn't it, ultimately? For mankind, for us, believe it or not, we will reign with him, with Christ. Is your life just a waste? <laughs> you know, just you go about with all your little energy and do all your little things and then die. Does it mean nothing? It's leading, it's building to the point where Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. It's all part of God's great program and plan, our little lives. To me, it's amazing, amazing anticipation of what God is doing. No, we don't see a lot right now. But God sees. No, let's see. Let's get back to my notes here. I got way off. His eyes are open. He sees El Shaddai. He sees the Shaddai, the beautiful power of love and life that is given to humanity through the work of Christ. It is that third blessing is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself, this parable. Uh, speaks now of these people that come under that blessing. It says, How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. Can I just turn aside one more place and think about what that might be referring to? In Psalm 133, Behold, how good. See, when he looked down, he said, Oh, how goodly are those tents. He wasn't saying, Wow, that's a nice tent. You know, when, I, when we used to go as family camping trips, at one point, my wife and I bought a big tent. We had to look at the biggest tent of the whole family. Wow, Tajma tent! Well, <laughs> a couple of years later, somebody sitting right here will remain anonymous. Bought a bigger tent with three rooms in it. Wow, what a tent! Those are goodly tents. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about, is it? How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob? That's not what he's talking about at all. This is—they weren't living the American dream, so to speak, in a tent. No, this is, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What he was looking at is, this is, look at the harmony. Look at the unity of this body of people. Wow. They, they, they're, they're, they're living together. They're functioning together. They're functioning like a body. Can you imagine that? <laughs> well, wait a second. That's, that's kind of what we're supposed to be. As a, as a body of Christ. Oh, the Lord said, you know, the world will know that we are his disciples by our love one for another. But you know, that cannot happen in the flesh. That just doesn't work. And we've all tried and we've all failed at trying to put up with one another in the strength of the flesh. But by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And we share love one for another. It comes to us by the Spirit of God. How good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Like that precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard of Aaron's beard. So it affects the worship as the Aaron the high priest, you know, it affects the worship of the brothers and sisters in Christ as the Holy Spirit comes upon us to bring us together to actually come into the presence of God and worship Him with a fragrance, with a fragrance that's exclusive to the priests of God. 
God said, that ointment, don't anybody copy that. Or you'll be cut off from your people. That's an exclusive ointment. That coming into the presence of God is exclusive to the people of God that are filled with the Spirit of God. Worship as priests. And what a joy it was to gather to remember the Lord this morning. Then he goes on to say, like the dews of Hermon, and the dew that descended upon the mounts of Zion, all the, the, uh, the blessed refreshment of the waters from heaven, the dews from heaven. Maybe that's what we're trying to do right now. Huh? Enjoy the blessedness, the edification, the refreshment of fellowship together in the word of God. Only by the Holy Spirit do these things come to us. Fellowship, worship, and then finally fruitfulness. I didn't read that last part of the verse chapter there, of Psalm. Fruitfulness is reality because of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 6 here, for example, back in our text in Numbers. As the valleys are they spread forth, like gardens by a riverside. Like trees of ling aloes, that's a fragrant, exotic plant, which the Lord has planted. They didn't grow. They don't come naturally, these ling aloes. They're not native plants. They're exotics that the Lord himself has planted and nurtured. Has anybody ever tried to grow orchids and so forth? They take a lot of nurturing. Or is the cedar... Beside the river, waters tall and stately and mighty. Isaiah 58, 11 says, The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. The gift gift of the Holy Spirit I think only lightly understood and appreciated unfortunately we're, we're weak on that on our study and our appreciation of the precious gift of the Holy Spirit and what that means in our lives what that means in our company and our assembly he comes to us he comes in us he dwells with us and in us that we might glorify Christ, which is what our goal is. And there's no possible way, really, of doing that without his work in us and through us, without his presence and our yieldedness to him. And so it says in verse 7, we're going to, like pouring water out of his buckets, I think that might be a parallel to, like, Springs of water springing up out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water springing up unto everlasting life. I think it's the abundance, the flow of blessing out. Out from your very inner being, out from your bucket, if you will. <laughs> As the King James has it, I don't know what the other translations use, but out of your very buckets, the blessings pour. His seed, his king, his kingdom. Seed is upon many waters. That means it's spread all, all over. 
It just it just grows. It expands. Is king higher than Agag? I think that should be just translated. Higher than the highest. That's what Agag means, highest. Higher than the highest. His king is higher than the highest. Oh, the Spirit of God in us, he exalts the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord. No one can say that he's the Lord except by the Spirit of God. He is our Lord, but we only honor him and bow to him as such as the Spirit of God moves within us. And our yieldedness of the Spirit of God gives us the privilege of knowing and owning and bowing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is higher than the highest. His kingdom shall be exalted. It's based upon, as was the last one, which I didn't emphasize, based upon that great work of redemption, God brought him forth out of Egypt. By the strength of the old King James says unicorn, but it's a might, it's a, it's a, uh, I suppose an extinct, the point is it's by great power, by great power. And then it goes on to speak of his blessed victories. But we're out of time. This, the third blessing, first blessing, sanctified to God. And then justified by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then filled with the glorious spirit of God that we might be full of fruit and full of blessing in this earth. In this waste, dry, desert place, in this wilderness. No, we turn it into a fountain of water by the presence of the spirit of God in us. May that be our experience and privilege. Thank you, our God, for your great blessings upon us. Oh, fill our hearts with the fullness of all that we have in Christ. Not just for our rejoicing, but that our lives might be a reflection, be a source of blessing and blessedness for your name's sake and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.